You're listening to The Good Faith, a podcast dedicated to applying historic Christian thinking to today's issues of faith, family, books, and culture. With your host, pastor, parent, and perpetual student of theology and culture, Chad Graham. Perhaps one of the most confusing beliefs of Christianity is the belief in the Trinity. What exactly does it mean? How many gods are there? Is God one? Is God three? Where did we come up with this idea? The Creed, for example, states, We believe in one God. So far, so good. This is monotheism, something that Christianity shares with the Jews and with the Muslims and with others throughout history. It agrees with the great Shema, the great confession that was the centerpiece of the whole faith of Old Testament Israel. Deuteronomy 6.4 articulates it this way, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And with this, Jesus himself evidently agreed. Mark chapter 12 recounts the story of a scribe, an expert in the scriptures, who came up to him and asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe, that great teacher of the scriptures, said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he, that is the scribe, had answered wisely, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. James was the brother of Jesus. He was a great leader in the church in Jerusalem, well respected by all. He had a nickname. He was called Old Camel Knees because of his pious prayers. He had apparently developed calluses on his knees. Now in the letter that bears his name, which he sent to Christians around the world, in chapter 2 and verse 19, he states, You believe that God is one. You do well. In an earlier episode of this podcast, I mentioned the Apostle Paul's writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, where having said that people in the Greco-Roman culture have many lords and many gods, he says this, verse 6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. But the Apostle doesn't stop there. He goes on, having said there is one God, to say, For us there is one God and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So God the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. The difference is in that preposition. From the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet in some way massively unified in action. Jesus himself famously said, 
If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And in another place he says, I and the Father are one. All four of the Gospels reference a really important marker at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. As he came to John the Baptist at the River Jordan to be baptized. And as Jesus came out of the water, this tremendous miracle is recorded by the witnesses of that event. When Jesus was baptized, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16 says, He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist's testimony that he beheld the heavens opening, the Holy Spirit descending, or the Spirit of God descending like a dove, not a dove, but descending like a dove, and a voice from heaven declaring that Jesus was God's Son, with whom he was well pleased, kicked off Jesus' career. And so the Christian creed that has said we believe in one God also says we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. You'll probably recognize that almost every phrase in there came from the scriptures, except for this interesting bit in the middle, that he is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. What is meant by this? Well, this, again, was the most controversial thing in Christianity. Monotheism as such was not totally controversial. Again, even today, we have various groups that are monotheistic and yet are not Christian. The Christian belief in the Trinity is quite strange. We have a belief in one God through whom all things were made, but we also believe in one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things were made. Or I should have said one God from whom all things are made and one Lord through whom all things are made. When we are told in the scriptures that Jesus is the Son of God, we are brought into the world of scriptural times, where sonship spoke a lot about essence and relationship. The Son represented the Father and was seen as being identified with and like the Father. A Son, of course, would have the genetics, would have the same stuff as the Father, and Jesus has the same stuff as his Heavenly Father. But in a particular way, he's utterly unique. He's the only begotten Son of God, the eternally begotten Son of God, the one who is begotten and not made. That is, he never had a beginning. Eternally, from all eternity, God has always existed. He always was, always is, and always shall be. And always with him was the begotten Son. And he's described as God from God, that is, of the same stuff as God true God from true God and light from light. I think that probably this has a, a reference to the sort of platonic philosophy that was popular at that time. There's this tremendous account of Plato in which most scholars believe he's talking about his own teacher Socrates. But he describes humanity as living in a dark cave, being tied up behind a tall wall 
and having everything chained up so that their heads can only look in one direction. They look at the back wall of the cave. And behind that wall there's a path, and on that path are walking certain people who are holding in their hand images of various different things. Horses and cows and trees and birds and so forth. And behind that path, a giant bonfire casting a huge amount of light. And so the people who are on the path, they walk along, carrying these various objects. They carry the horse, and they go, Nay! Nay! And the people who are chained up on the other side of the wall, they look at the shadow being cast of a horse, and they hear the noise that is being made, but they don't know what the thing is called, and they begin to talk and debate themselves, and I can't remember the names that they use in, in the actual platonic dialogue, but it's in the Republic, and basically uh, the people say, oh, that's a that's a nene, and then they see a bird, and that's a tweeter, and they see, you know, a tree, and they say that's a oo and they just make up names for everything, as anybody would who's looking at something, and they discuss it, and they have debates about whether that's the right name for it, and what the thing is. One day, one of the men is untied, and he walks behind the wall, and he sees the path, and he's amazed, and he sees the fire, and he's amazed, and he goes up the path, and around behind the fire, and he's amazed to see that the path leads somewhere, and up he climbs and ascends out of the mouth of the cave. Oh, what a change this is. He gets out of the cave, and he looks out, and he looks up, and his eyes are almost blinded, because blazing in the blue sky is the full-orbed sun. And after a while, his eyes adjust enough, and he looks out, and he sees a pleasant lake, and green trees, and growing grass, and flowers of all kinds of various colors. And he's overwhelmed, and he begins to explore this world, and to learn the truth about the animals. He sees a real horse in the flesh. And he realizes that all he'd ever known all his life is the mere shadow of things, things seen in the darkness, but not things seen in the light. And having been enlightened, he begins to feel for his fellow men who are back tied up in the cave. And so one day he climbs back in the cave and goes back for them. And he comes and says, hello, do you remember me? And the people who see him say, oh, there's, you know, Johnny, he left us. And he starts to tell them about the, the truth and about how they're being deceived and they're just seeing shadows of reality and about this beautiful real world. And they, people laugh at him and they scoff at him. And they say, let's see if he even, you know, he's all dreaming of these pie-in-the-sky visions that he's had, but I wonder if he can think about real things in the real world and if he has any real knowledge. So they look at the shadows they can still see, and they say, what is that? Is that an oo or an ug? And the man who has been freed looks at him and says, I, I don't care. I don't, it's not an oo or an ug. Those aren't real things. These are just shadows. The real thing is over here. Come and see. But the people become angry with him. He's so uppity and thinks he knows better than them. And eventually they beat him to death and kill him. Again, this is probably a, um allegory for what happened to Plato's mentor Socrates in Athens when he was executed for being an atheist. Because apparently he was a monotheist. He believed in one god and didn't believe that the idol gods, the pagan gods of Mount Olympus, were real. Plato focuses on the good, on the light, on the real thing that can be seen. And I think, as this became understood as the reality of realities, it is probably the sense in which the creed draws on this. The sun is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. This last phrase is also pretty interesting. 
but I'll have to come back to it another time because I want to move on to the Holy Spirit. Yes, Christians add something else. We believe in one God. We believe in one Lord. We also believe in the Holy Spirit, who is described as the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, and who, with the Father and the Son, is worshipped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets. This is the God who spoke in Scripture. When the Scripture says, Thus says the Lord, it speaks of the Holy Spirit. When we believe in one Lord named Jesus Christ, we also believe the Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father. And this gets, again, a little bit confusing. The classic terms are so helpful here and so very important. We believe in one God, one Lord, and in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the eternally begotten. The Spirit is the eternally proceeding. The Son is begotten. The Spirit proceeds. Both of these phrases speak of an essential unity with the Father and an essential sourcing in the very being of God. And that's why Jesus is described as being of one being with the Father. In the Latin, it describes him as being consubstantialum. And in the Greek text of the creed, it describes him as being, as being homoousion or homoousius topatri. Homoousion topatri and consubstantialum patri both speak of the same thing, but interestingly come from very different angles. And to this I'll return at another time. But for today, the essence is this. Christians do believe in one God. They are monotheists, but not like the Jews and not like the Muslims. Our God is triune. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For listening to the Good Faith Podcast. For more episodes, related articles, and additional information, visit chadwgram.com. Reading Plato is highly recommended, but for a brief introduction for the curious Christian, or curious anyone, uh, Peter Kreeft, The Platonic Tradition, is a great resource. The Nicene Creed is readily available online. For resources related to the topics in this podcast, or for more episodes, visit chadwgram.com There you'll find the Good Faith site where I have uh, other writings in which I explore various things in faith, family, books, and culture in both audio and article resources. enjoying in the background comes from the Tudor Consort and their track Curia Laison, which is protected under a Creative Commons copyright license, which allows use with attribution.